computer and now I can share again. Hi, we're starting share screen. There we go. And we should be recording. So here we are. Welcome to Impact and to our Kairos gathering. That's right, we're in the midst of a series doing hard things. And here we are trying to figure out technology. That's kind of a hard thing, right? Um, but we're gonna make it work one way or the other. So go ahead and please keep yourself muted during this time just so we don't have all those crazy distractions going on. And way that we're gonna work this is I'm gonna start off and share a few quotes with you guys. It's kind of interesting that this week, um, quotes have kind of come my way. Daniel Road reminded me of this quote this week, how you think determines how you will live. And he was sharing with me about how he, how that quote impacted his life and things that came out of it. And actually, he's going to be sharing with us in just a little bit more about that. So we will come back to this quote. Um, moving forward, Autumn tagged me in this quote from a couple years back. It's a mess to love people like people deserve to be loved. And Autumn, go ahead and unmute yourself. And, and I was dialoguing with her. And, and just, Autumn, just share a little bit about what, what were your thoughts um, behind this quote. Yeah. Um Wade, you were talking to me, you're like, it's super good timing for how this quote resurfaced for the lesson. And I'm like, God's timing. Um, but I was looking at what I said two years ago, because you had asked me, you're like, do you remember what you thought about the quote during this time? And I was like, honestly, no, like, I don't <laughs> remember the lesson I took it out of or anything. But luckily, I, um, someone had asked a question in the comments, so I was able to explain my perspective to them. And I said, two years ago, I feel like everyone can interpret it differently. How I see it is everyone has different opinions and values and beliefs, and we all come from different places. So it's really hard to see people where they're at and hear what they have to say while continuing to fully and genuinely love them and respect them. But once you can do that, it's beautiful. And then you continue to dialogue Wade with my band teacher from high school and you guys set up your first Kairos coffee day and that was super cool. <laughs> um, but it's cool how the dialogue happens and it's cool how a real life example of the love was shown there. Um, and then when you asked me again, two years later, I said, I wasn't going to read my answer from last time, but my answer from seeing it again, I like seeing it come up because it's a good reminder to love people well and to love people in the way that they need. Sometimes that won't be easy. Most times it won't because it'll be loving them how they need and not necessarily how you're comfortable loving them. So, I kind of heard it again and I was like, it's not easy to love people and it's even harder to love people well and how they deserve to truly be loved and you should kind of love people well depending on how they need it, you know? So I love that quote from when you gave it two years ago, still love it now. So yeah. Super, super cool. Thank you for sharing us and reminding us about that. Um, again, just this power of just quotes to catch our attention and, and like catch us where we're at and, and make an impact in our lives. Um, I was thinking about this quote directly from Paul the Apostle, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, this has been a powerful verse that has come back to me and I've used it with our teachings many, many times, just that we have the power to adjust how we think and what our perspective is. And when we do that, circumstances don't need to change and yet everything can change. I've had this exact conversation with so many people as they're trying to put their faith in Christ and just saying to them that, you know, it's not that Jesus is gonna show up. It's not that, you know, anything is actually going to have to change in your life for you just to make a decision to say, you know what, I, I'm going to choose faith 
and we'll see where it goes. And they do that and their lives change and it's amazing what happens. So just again, the power of quotes. Um, this quote was sent to me by Daniel Rode. He didn't even send it in quote format. It was just part of a conversation that we were having and I looked at what he wrote and I said to myself, that's quotable. You cannot take advantage of your potential if you do not recognize it. And like, wow, like if that catches your attention, that's good because it's, it's quote worthy. And again, we're gonna come back um, to that. And actually we are ready to get going. So Daniel, if you will unmute yourself, I'm gonna ask you to share right now your thoughts on, on this quote that's on the screen right now. Cool, can you hear me? Yes. All right. Um, yeah, so yeah, Wade and I were talking about the, the book, Do Hard Things and um, kind of just dialoguing about it. And while I was reading the chapters, I was kind of just thinking about like back toward from a time when I didn't really do hard things to where I started to, um, and just kind of wondering like in reflection of how I got there. And I realized that a big portion of why I didn't really do hard things was because I didn't think I was capable of doing anything. Um, and so a big motivator for me was just having people in my life that um, they recognized the potential that I didn't see and they um, encouraged me to go after it. And it's like, um, like I had to step out in it to make it real, but they had the vision first. And that vision was what was able to show me a path that I could travel to do different kinds of hard things. Um, it was, it was definitely people and, and books. Um, I like to read a lot of personal growth books and a couple of analogies, um, stood out from a few of them. There is a, the, in the do hard things book, there is the elephant analogy that they use. So there's this baby elephant. Um, I forget what they're for. I think people use them for farming in, in the story that I was talking about in the book. But anyway, um, elephants are strong and they can like, you know, get away from you if they want. So what they do is they take the baby elephant and they put a chain around its leg and they take the chain and attach it to like a tree or something, something really sturdy. Um, so the elephant can't get away. Of course it tries like a lot and it just ends up like cutting up its leg because the chain just digs into its leg. So after trying and trying over and over, the elephant eventually learns that, um, you know, don't try to get away from the chain. Like if you're on the chain, stay by the tree. That's how you don't get hurt. And, um, you know, that's a valid conclusion to come to. Like it's, it's not stronger than a chain. Um, but once it grows up, the, uh, the owner of the elephant switches out the, the chain for a rope and the tree for um, just like a little peg in the ground um, because the owner knows that the elephant believes that if it has anything like just attached to its leg that it can't go anywhere. Um, and so there's this idea from another book called Mental Maps, which is basically like you learn how to navigate a certain situation and then later in life you tend to use the same ways of dealing things that you did in your past to, for current situations. So like the elephant um, can obviously break the rope once it's an adult um, and just pull the peg out of the ground and walk off it want, if it wants to. Um, but it learned to not try to get away once it's tied up. So it's using this old way of handling a situation for a new context that doesn't work anymore. Um, and so basically the book's just saying that like, 
um, you need to change how you approach different situations and even like your own potential. Like maybe you weren't able to do something in the past, but that might not be true anymore. Um, a lot of people just, you know, try something once or twice and then they're like, oh, I can't do it. And then that's kind of the end of it. So it made me realize that like, you know, I should always be testing myself and always seeing whether or not I actually, you know, still can't do that thing I thought I wasn't able to do. Um, so that's kind of wordy. I guess to summarize it kind of more neatly, it's like uh, so much of the time, the only thing holding us back from achieving something is the belief that we can't do it. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's kind of my thoughts on that. Man, those are great thoughts. I mean, you summarized the elephant story really well, and it makes such a good point. Um, Daniel, I was listening to you talk just now, and you, you, you said at the, near the beginning, you said that you'd like to read self-help books. And that kind of made me chuckle a little bit because I think that before you started coming to Kairos, I don't think you were reading those self. I think that was a part of the process. So my question for you right now is, um, what are some of those things that you didn't believe you could do back in the day? Um, or, or even looking back, what are some things that had never even crossed your mind that you might do that in the last few years you've done, you've, you've done things that you would have never dreamed that, that you would have done. So what are some of those things that, that you've grown into along the way, Daniel? Ugh, there's quite a few things. Um, yeah, like I said, I really, I really honestly used to believe that I couldn't do much of anything except hate myself. Um, but that's changed a lot in the past few years. And like even just talking to people, that's one of the things. Um, I used to have really bad social anxiety and I'm still kind of like socially awkward, but I used to be like legitimately terrified of people. Um, so the, like the idea of just going up to a stranger to ask them something for directions or, or evangelism, gosh, evangelism. I never thought I would do that. That was like mortifying. Um, so that's one of the things, uh, public speaking like, like this or, like um, giving a lesson at Kairos or even giving presentations in my college class. Those are things that I never thought I would be able to do. Um, it's kind of a funny one, but riding roller coasters. Uh, I, I remember one, one time I went to Ely's Gardens and one day I just was like feeling like that, that nudge that I needed to do hard things. And I had, was avoiding roller coasters hardcore, but that day I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do all of them. <laughs> and so I went on a binge of roller coaster riding, which was really good. Um, let's see, I some other ones listed. Going on the Vegas trip, I did not think I would do that. It actually took some very strong peer pressure, which is another thing that can help you do hard things. It's not bad. Peer pressure is good in the context of doing hard things. And that's a big part of why I went on the Vegas trip. And that's after I did that first time, I loved it. And I went back four more, three or four more times, I think. Um, let's see, finding freedom from porn. That was definitely a big one. Um, and that's something that, like, has come back um, at between before I started coming to Kairos and then present time. Like, the whole time I've been at Kairos. Um, have been pretty free and then there's been points in between when it's come back and like um every time that i go back to it like it's hard to 
stop again. And it's like every time that I stop, I recognize that it's, it's a hard thing that's always worth it to, to do. Of course, it's better just to avoid it in the first place. That's the easy thing. Um, and that's an easy thing that I can promote for everyone to do. Um, let's see. Uh, switching out my car for public transportation. That was a whole thing that I was just like, I do not know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but it worked out. And now it's just like a part of my routine, except for currently, obviously, because I stay home. Um, going to college. Didn't think I would ever do that. Um, going to Australia for DTS. Well, actually, before that, honestly, the Spain trip was probably the first big like international like trip I did. And that was scary because that was my first time leaving the country. And I never thought like I would leave the country. So got, doing the first hard thing of like going to Spain helped prep me for my YWAM DTS, being able to do that, which was more hard, which was harder than Spain because like that was something I was doing by myself. Like I was just leaving the country on my own, which is a completely new. Um, yeah, being student leader with Kairos, I worked the register at Chick-fil-A up front, which is during lunchtime, it's madness. So that was also a hard thing. Um, yeah, so that's, those are some, some of the things. I, I love hearing those stories and you, you, you said this, but like those things built upon themselves. Like you didn't start with a trip to Australia. There was a lot of things, a lot of steps along the way of pushing yourself and growing. Um, I, I'm getting my notes mixed up in my head. Um, so I'm going to say this now, even though I think I might've had planned to say it later there. I have so many stories of people coming to Kairos and, and sitting in their car and never coming inside. Um, and, and the reason I know this is true is because like years later, they'll come and they'll say to me, hey, did you know that, you know, I came to Kairos like two times, three times and I sat in the parking lot and never came inside before I ever finally walked to the door. And I'll be like, no, I didn't know that. And, they, and they'll say, yeah, like I dealt with so much anxiety and so much fear. I just couldn't bring myself to enter into it. Um, and so hearing stories like this, Daniel, and hearing your story, like I am reminded that, that to that extent, how do I say this? You are a normal guy, Daniel, like your experiences and your failures and your fears, like it's something that everybody deals with. And it wasn't that you were just the chosen one that now it all worked out for Daniel. Like you made choices and you had examples and, uh, and it was a process, but that fear thing that you dealt with when I, when I think about that, um, and that, that fear held you back for so many years. So can I ask you to, to speak to that and articulate like how, how fear impacted your, your life over those years? Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because fear was something that kept me from doing hard things, but it's also something that made me do hard things too, which is kind of strange. Um, so I kind of got this belief over time that like, if I didn't do hard things, like um, I was setting myself up for failure in the future, which is kind of sort of true on some level, but um that would like make me get mortified at times like oh if i don't do this hard thing like right now like um this is my only chance and it's like i'm this is the defining moment of my future and you know it it doesn't quite work that way like there's there's always a lot of opportunities to do hard things and of course if you pass some up like yeah they won't come back but 
it it took me through a process of realizing that I had to change my focus from like, oh, I need to do hard things or I'm going to have a really terrible future to seeing doing hard things as exciting and like as an opportunity. Um, and I'll say like that attitude has helped me like a lot because, you know, you can, you can kind of dread hard things, be like, I don't want to do them or you can be terrified of them or you can be like, I need to do them or else. Um, or you can like see them as, you know, yeah, like as the opportunity they are. Um, and so that's, that's honestly something I'm still working on. I've made a good amount of progress in it, but it's definitely um, takes practice to see, you know, challenges as uh, an opportunity to grow as, and as an uh, investment that will pay you back more in the future. Um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of the, the, fear part that was driving me to do hard things that I've kind of been working to reframe. Um, but as far as the fear that was keeping me from doing hard things, I realized that there's kind of only two ways to deal with fear. You have to face it or you have to avoid it. And I had a lot of fear and stuff. So I realized that if I was going to go the route of avoiding fear, that I was basically going to be stuck in a hula hoop sized comfort zone for the rest of my life, which did not sound pleasant or productive. Um, so I realized like if I wanted to ha have freedom that I was going to have to grow my comfort zone, um, which was uncomfortable, but you know, I've done like that list above that I gave, like all of those things were well outside of my comfort zone. And now they're, you know, either on the edge or well inside of the comfort zone. And so yeah, for me, I realized that doing hard things was going to help me have a bigger sense of, of freedom in, in my abilities and the belief of what I could achieve. That hula hoop size comfort zone, man, that, that makes a great visual image. Um, I think that we could get a quote out of that somehow, but uh, we'll come back to that later. So when we talk about do hard things, like, it's, like I, I think I heard you saying this, it seems like the problem is that word hard. We can all do things, right? Like, doing a, a Netflix binge all day long. Like we can do things, we can do that. But when we talk about the hard things, like that's what kind of separates things out. So you touched on the word hard, Daniel, share a little bit more about the hard part of do hard things. Okay. So a kind of um, a trick I've realized, I guess, actually I'll share this afterward. Um, so, the attitude you have, which I already talked about, like having a positive attitude towards something, but um, the attitude you have towards like doing something really changes like how hard it is. I mean, obviously some things are definitely just harder to do than others. Some things require more energy, but um, the attitude we have about a particular task definitely changes how hard something feels. And so for like 14ers, um, I hadn't done 14ers before. I want to, I think it was Adam who took me up on my first 14er, which was really hard. Um, but again, that like, I never would have believed I could do that unless he told me that I could do it. Um, and then I went with him and then I did it and I was at top Pike's peak. So it was pretty cool. And being around people who have a good attitude about doing hard things, it's, it's mm -hmm. contagious. Like, um, I didn't like that first time up Pike's peak, I didn't, love it like it was hard and it hurt but like the good attitude of the people around me who were going up was like 
like changing how I felt about it. Um, and so I could feel myself internally complaining about like, Oh, this is so hard. But then they would be like, Oh, we're going up Pikes Peak and this is awesome. And then I would notice just like, I would suddenly get this feeling of like, yeah, this is kind of cool. Like this is a cool thing. Um, and so, yeah, hanging out with people who have a good attitude about doing hard things and about, um, encouraging you to do hard things is kind of like a trick that that has helped me anyway do things that are harder so yes the term hard is kind of relative um it is concrete also in some other ways but your attitude can definitely change how hard something feels it is so encouraging to hear how doing hard things has been a part of your journey with with kairos um and and especially in the context of what you shared that these things were hard for you. You didn't start off with these things being easy. You started off with these things being hard and you had examples and you made choices and, and you did these things. Um, to the extent now where some of these things are definitely easier than they were. Like we're having this conversation right now and you're not trembling in fear. Like, so there's been growth along the way, but you didn't start there. And man, my prayer is just for anybody else watching or listening that they're catching, catching this message that that there's choices involved and when the friends are involved, like we can do things that are harder. Um, so really appreciate this time. Hey, I'm going to ask you uh, anything else that you want to sum things up with or wrap things up with as we're doing this? Yeah. Um, yeah. a couple things. So this is jumping ahead in the book a little bit, but it, it fit in really good. So there's a part in the book where it talks about doing things that are hard for you specifically. Um, and so it kind of uses that in the context of talking about like if things might be easy for someone else, but hard for you, then you should like feel accomplished by challenging yourself. Like even if it's easy for most people, if you're challenging yourself, um, that's what's important. Um, and then the other part that was convicting to me was it talks about things that are hard for everyone else, but easy for you. And so um, that's a trap that, you know, I can get stuck in. Like um, if there's this one thing that, I'm better at than, um, you know, the average person, then I might not push myself as hard in it because I'm like, oh, like, you know, I just need to meet the status quo and that's it. But if you have a gift in a specific thing, then like to challenge yourself, you're going to have to go further. Um, and so especially in our giftings, um, that's an important place to challenge yourself and not measure yourself based on how other people um, do in that particular area, but kind of measure against yourself and how um, you're doing with that. So yeah, to, to kind of sum up with like the quote from earlier that you can't recognize or you can't um, take advantage of your potential if you don't recognize it, I would just encourage you guys to, you know, take steps towards recognizing the fuller potential that you have. Like if you think you can't do something, test it. Like don't, don't take that voice in your head, the initial voice that comes up and be like, Oh yeah, you can't do that. Like challenge it every time. Just like a scientist be like, I'm going to actually see if I can't do this. Um, and then like in the context for others, like other people might not see the same potential in themselves that you see. So if you see that someone else has a certain potential in something, then go tell them, go say, I think you're good at this. And I think you could do this. And, um, you know, that was, like I said at the beginning, that was a huge part for me was other people recognizing for me the potential um, that I didn't see. So if you see 
that someone else has potential in something, then go and tell them. Amen. Hey, big round of applause for, for Daniel. Thumbs up. Um, sure appreciate you sharing. And, and uh, I, I know that's going to be helpful to somebody else, just like those from three, four, five years ago that went before were an impact and an influence in your life. Like you get to pay it forward now. Super cool. I, I have a few more thoughts. Um, I know we're going over time. Uh, it'll be later than nine before we start family groups, but I'm thinking that everybody that's going to be in family groups is probably here right now. So it's probably all good. So we've heard this before, like Kairos is not a normal Bible study, right? Um, and we know what we mean by that. And, and, and we like that. Like, uh, we see that as a good thing. And so as I'm thinking along those lines, I'm thinking about like my job is like not a normal job either. My job isn't just to teach you about the Bible and about God. Like, but, but my job is to coach you and motivate you and encourage you and push you to learn and grow yourself right? Uh, like we spoon feed babies, but at some point in time, they're, they're responsible for taking care of their own uh, eating and, and so on. So that's, um, that's like what we're doing with this series. Like I, I'm not just trying to pour information and knowledge into you. I'm trying to motivate you to make choices that you're going to grow and you're going to move forward uh, on yourself. So as we um, keep moving ahead in this Do Hard Things book, we're looking at chapters two through four this week. And, and, and these first four chapters really are setting up where we're going to go from here. Okay. So um, next week, like the format's going to change a little bit and we're going to move, move on from there. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about from these chapters is, is these three, three um, kids. I'll call them kids. And if you read the book, you know what it's talking about. If not, it's kind of a fun story. It's still a fun story, even if you know where it's going. Um, keep in mind that the setting for this is roughly 200 years ago in what we would currently call the East Coast of the United States, okay? So pioneer days, right? Like big time, like, no, pre-pioneer days. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but like a long time ago. So uh, this guy, George, he was a surveyor at age 17. And when we talk about surveyor, it's not what you're thinking about today, like in the city with the bubble level and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, he's in the wilderness. He's dragging chains around and he's dealing with animals and probably, you know, uh, crazy people doing crazy things. Uh, age 17, making this happen, working hard. Um, this guy, David, he became a seaman at age 10. Now there's child labor laws in place today, right? So like there's a, a reason people don't become seamen at age 10, but for him, like that, that was normal. That's what he did. Clara, she became a full-time nurse at age 11. Um, her brother got sick and she took over his full caregiving at, at age 11. And one of the points is that like, if we had any of these three people here now, as their 17 or 10 or 11 year old self and, and said like, what do you think about this situation? Like we can be pretty confident that they would say something like, well, this is normal. Like, this is what you do. Like, you, you know, you got to have a job, you got to you know, earn some food. Like, like this is what people do. They wouldn't have been looking at themselves as special or different or above anybody. Right. That was, that was just the way things were. Um, of course, as a 17 year old survey and a 10 year old seaman, an 11 year old nurse, none of them were thinking about what life was going to look like 30 or 40 years from now. They were just doing what needed to be done at the time. But you know, the cool thing is when you do hard things and when they build on other hard things and they keep building and keep, go keep growing, like amazing things happen. Uh, it turns out that George is George Washington and his story uh, of all that he went through. David Farragut, I, I remember that name from uh, history class back in high school, the first admiral of our Navy. Um, uh, Clara Barton, who founded the Red Cross. I, these people went on to leave a mark in history. These people went on to change the world. 
uh, and it started by them doing hard things when they were young, right? Um, I, I, you know, guys, like, I'll throw myself out there as an example, too. Like, if you had have known me back in high school, like, I, I wasn't, I, I was not the guy that anybody voted as most likely to succeed in life. Like, when they do those yearbooks things and those votes, like, nobody would have even thought of my name when that question came up. Like, I, I wouldn't have been in the running. Like, who? Oh, who's that guy? Um, and like, like it just is what it is. And if you had to talk to me and interviewed me back then, I would have said like, yeah, I, I, I'm nobody special. In fact, I might've been pretty negative about myself. Now I'm, I'm a nobody. Similar to maybe what Daniel would have said about himself um, and his thoughts dwelling on hating himself. Um, didn't think of myself as anybody special or, or anyone capable. Um, guys, it's been like five years since I got that record on the incline. Uh, the fastest time for a marathon on the incline. It's been five years and I still have that record. I, again, how did that happen? Like that wasn't a goal, a life goal, a vision of mine. Like it was, I loved mountains, right? I had this passion for mountains and one thing led to another and I did more mountains and I just started doing incline and I did more inclines. And I heard about what other people had done on the incline. And I started asking myself the question, could I do what they did? And I kept growing from one lap, two, five, six, seven, eight laps. And, and then I did the 13 laps and it, and it happened. Um, the reality is like we can't get George Washington or David Farragut back here to interview them as adults, but you have me right now and you know me. And guys, like, let's just kind of be funny about this. You know that I'm just a guy, right? You know that about me. You hang out with me. You spend time with me. You know that I get upset about things. You know that I make mistakes. You know that I don't always lead well. Um, you know that I'm just a guy. My point being like, each one of you has such crazy potential. It's like what Daniel was talking about, this vision and seeing somebody else uh, pave the way and then amazing things happen. Let me say this, here's something that I'm not trying to push on you guys. I'm not trying to push the 10 year old that's working nine to five or the 17 year old that's, that's doing the daily grind for the rest of your life. I'm not trying to rush anybody into that daily grind where you're just doing what you gotta do and it is what it is. Like that's not good for anybody from my perspective but I am trying to push you and encourage you and ask the question about like, what is your passion? You know, what does it look like? Is it mountains? Is it military teaching, video making, healthcare? Like what are your passions? And as you zoom in on your passions, then it's, it becomes a question of, of like, where can you start taking steps in that direction? Right? How can you make a difference one step at a time? What can you learn? How can you grow? How can you push yourself? What has somebody else done that you can follow in their example? Um, and as you start doing that, like God's going to lead you into a passion that, that makes a difference. And 30, 40 years from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, like, wow, look what God did. Isn't that crazy? Keep in mind that even though right now we're talking about you and trying to set a foundation and, and, and focusing on there, like clearly we've got a bigger picture in mind. We're going in a direction of saying like, where is impact going to be this fall? Like, What's a big picture vision of the difference that we're going to make? And are, are we going to invest ourselves into mentoring youth or creating a network to still serve the elderly? Are we going to be more intentional about our campus evangelism? Are, are we going to get focused on Habitat for Humanity and serving there? Uh, those are just ideas that I'm throwing out there to prime the pump, to get us thinking that we're growing ourselves now so that, so that we can make a difference around, around the, the turn. Guys, as I process this lesson or pray about this, I was just convicted that, that, that your generation has more time and energy and freedom than anyone else. 
you have more time and energy and freedom than anyone else. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but I've lived through some of these different generations. And I'm telling you like where you guys are at right now is pretty prime. That being said, there's a Bible verse that says everyone to whom much was given to him, much will be required. Um, right? Like there's going to come a day when God's going to check in with you to see like how, what you've done with the talents that he's given you. And uh, you don't want to be the guy that, that uh, hid your talents away because you knew that he was a hard taskmaster as the, as the parable says um, you've got some talents and you've got some, some friends to encourage you and you have examples before you to use them and to go and make a difference. There's another verse, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Great, great verse. And it's just set before us to give us a choice, right? Choose humility. Choose humility. And what comes with it? Grace. Grace comes with that. So I'm encouraging us to humble ourselves as we move forward, as we make choices about where we're going. Here's, here's what I've got. I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, last week, I asked you to think about two things that you wanted to do or renew doing or adapt so that you were doing them better throughout this time, you know, foundational stuff. How can you push yourself to grow? I think that was great. I think that was a great first step. Um, but one thing that it didn't give us, it didn't give us a perspective of where someone else was at and how someone else was looking um, in at our lives. So as we did that, I'm asking the question now, would you be willing this week to think about somebody, a parent, a, a minister, a coach, somebody, somebody that's above you, and be willing to go to them and, and ask them this question. Go to them and say, hey, I got a question for you. Would you pray and think about suggesting two things that I could be doing right now that would be beneficial to me in my life? Um, some thoughts on that is that one, like when you talk to them, like don't just say, hey, off the cuff, tell me something. No, you want them to pray about this and, and seek God on this, right? And you want them to be serious about these things. Keep in mind that you're asking them for suggestions on things that they think would be beneficial for you, right? So we're not trying to set you up as, hey, do you want me to be your servant boy for the next three months? Like, we're not asking that. We're like, we want them to have your best interest in mind as they process through that. So, um, so ask them to pray and take this seriously uh, and, and let them know that you're going to follow through. Here's what I'm asking. As they suggest these two things, I'm asking you, to make the commitment to say, I'm going to find one, of, I'm going to choose one of those things and I'm going to find a way to make it work because I need people outside of myself speaking into my life. But use some wisdom and use some good communication with them to process through their suggestions. Don't just say, well, you said this and so now I have to do it just like you said. Like work through it and, and deal with reality and deal with time schedules and, and deal with uh, what you've gone through before and process through with them how you can take their idea and, and make it work. And then let them know that you're going to follow back up with them and, and, and give yourself some accountability to let them know how you are doing. And I'm going to ask for three months, right? Commit to three months and let them know after three months, you're going to come back and, and share the experience with them and, and tell them what you learned from the experience and how you grew through, through that experience. Um, why, you know, reasons guys, it's so good to humble ourselves. Uh, like we, we need to like, we know from Philippians that uh, people have a choice. You can humble yourself or eventually God will humble you. And when we choose to humble ourselves, like it brings joy and delight to God. Um, it's a good thing to do Two, We need a vision for how to grow. Like so many times, like we just don't have the vision for ourselves. We heard Daniel share that. Like it's so hard to see yourself from another perspective. And so we need people speaking into our lives 
And then lastly, like growth is always incremental, right? Like if you don't let somebody speak in your life and if you don't let yourself grow in that way, like how are you going to get to that next step in the journey? Um, we need people speaking into our lives and sharing with us and encouraging us along those lines. So um, that's what I have for you. That's the challenge. Um, I look forward to seeing where it goes and what God does with it. Um, I'll be praying for you. Let's be praying for each other. Next week is when we start talking about the five kinds of hearts. So we'll have five weeks of different chapters on of five kinds of heart. Next week is the hard things that take you outside of your comfort zone. Daniel Rowe referenced not wanting to live in a hula hoop sized comfort zone for the rest of his life. Um, I think I might need to get a hula hoop next week because that's pretty fantastic. So that's what I've got from you. Um, we're pretty much going to go straight into family groups from here. So I will pray for us and then I will end this meeting. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you that you set the example of humility. The ultimate example of God becoming man and walking with us on this earth, dealing with tired feet and hunger pains and eventually dealing with death on a cross for us. Father, as you set that example, um, we choose to humble ourselves and, and follow in your footsteps as best as we can. Father, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow you. Lead us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to stop the share and I'm going to stop the recording and maybe. <laughs>